God has come to change lives of, of people. That's his mission. Uh, we read in Scripture in Matthew 24, uh, verse 14, Jesus says this gospel of the kingdom uh, is to uh, be preached in the whole world, every nook and cranny from Seatown, Carrollton, Seatown, the colony. I don't know which one's the real Seatown. Let me go with the colony this morning. All right. To Plano, Frisco, Louisville, Flower Mound, uh, Little Elm. That, that the gospel is to be preached to the whole world, to, to every nation. And then Jesus says this, then the end will come. And you hear that and you think, man, this, this is big. This idea of the gospel going forth to the ends of the world, it's huge and it is. It lands here this morning to each individual life and it's broad. It goes to every place from Papua New Guinea and every point in between. And so my question this morning is, is, is okay, God, how, how does this work? How does this happen? Because this is a big deal. Your gospel going forth, and then the end will come. Christ will come back. And how it happens, the answer is simply this that Scripture tells us. It, it happens through unqualified, weak, broken people. That's God's mission plan. That's what he wants to do. In fact, in Acts 1-8, the verse that, that sets up really the entirety of the series that we've been going through for the last 10 months, it, it says this. Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses when my power comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the world. And what does God do? He takes... 11 unqualified guys says that too. And he says, hey, listen, I'm going to raise you guys up. I'm going to add another guy to you. He's going to make 12. And, and I'm going to take you broken guys, you weak guys, you, you guys that aren't the most intelligent crew in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the area. And you're going to go out and I'm going to use you to turn this world upside down. And we've just seen that week after week as we've looked through this book. And that's what God wants to do. A few weeks ago, I, I asked the question, who's your one? I, I, I put a challenge before you to think about who's one person that you could identify in your sphere of influences that you have, your different circles that you run, that you could to identify and say, hey, that is one person I know that, that does not know the Lord, and I want to begin interceding for them, to pray for them. I want to begin investing in them, um, not just, uh, just this relationship of hanging out, but, but even spiritual realities and spiritual truth, and eventually share the gospel and invite them to believe. And, and I want you to just keep thinking about that, praying about that, and eventually identify who's that one that I want to take those steps with. And so this morning, let me remind you of that. Today, our life groups begin studies all across the area of, of called one by four, which simply is that. Who's your one? And, and by four is the four eyes to identify to intercede, to invest, and eventually invite. And just want to encourage you to, to join God in his mission. It's big. It's, it's the gospel going to the nations. It's part of his plan to eventually consummate the kingdom of God here on earth with Jesus coming back and us being with him forever. It's part of his plan. And he includes us in it who are unqualified, weak, and broken. And we see that this morning um, some of us, we hear things and challenges like, hey, let's go out and, and reach at least one and start there. 
And some of us are doing that, but we hear that and, and, and sometimes fear rises up. Or we get this thought of, man, that, to me that's, that's a little embarrassing, a little humiliating. And we, we worry about, well, what if they, they don't accept? Or, and what if I don't have all the right answers? If they ask some tough questions, what if? Well, I want you to hear today that the Apostle Paul even struggles with that. You hear that and you think, no way, man, this is a guy of Scripture. Yeah, that, most of the New Testament, he's written, and this is a guy, he seems like he's got it all figured out. But the Apostle Paul, if you follow historians, is painted as this short, bald-headed man, all right? <laughs> a short, bald-headed man who is weak. Sometimes they picture him as even hunched over. And a, a guy who physically you would look at and say, hmm, not, not strong. See, we get another picture of that when we think of him. We think of a man who's courageous and bold. And yes, he is, but, but he, not by appearance, not by this physical thing. We think of a man who's intelligent. And yeah, he's intelligent in the law, and he's intelligent with some of the things of this world. But then we see God using him to speak what? The wisdom of God, and it's by the power of God. And so God takes a weak, even at times I would say feeble man, health struggles some say, and he uses those things and he does strong, mighty, great things through Paul for the kingdom. But in Paul's heart, we're going to see this morning, is just like you and I, fear, trembling, even maybe worry. And so let's look at the text this morning. To do this this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to give us the context. He's in a new place today. I know it's a surprise. Paul's the traveling man. And so we're going to see that in verse 1. And then, now did anyone just feel like kind of just quiet in here all of a sudden? This is, the kids just chilled, right? They just chilled? So I felt that up here. Okay. Um, but, but here's what we're going to see too this morning. The context, but I want to give us three points this morning. And what we're going to find out as we look at Paul and how God takes his weakness and uses it to, to be a witness to the world, I want us to see three things about Jesus. And here's what it is. Jesus, number one, is our provider Okay, real simple this morning. Jesus is our provider. Second, Jesus is our encourager. And Jesus is the great promise keeper. I want us to see those three things. Because it truly is those three things that makes the witness of Paul so great. And so look at verse 1 with me this morning. It says, after these things, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. And so here's Paul's journey. He goes from the city of Athens, this small city compared to other cities, and it's filled with idols, Athens was. It had more idols than it did people. His ministry there wasn't as fruitful as some ministries. I mean, God obviously had a plan. He, he saved some there, but not as many as Paul has seen. And then Paul goes from Athens. He goes maybe some 50 miles, I think, to Corinth. And Corinth is a city that's quite different than Athens. Corinth sits close to the coast. There's a lot of commercial business going on, a lot of ships coming in. And, and so there was a lot of activity, a lot of consumerism in the city. It was a city proud with wealth, proud with political prestige, but even proud of its immorality. A city of some 450,000 people, 20 times the size of Athens, this city bragged about its immorality. In fact, in the city itself, it had a mountain, and on the top of it sat the temple of Aphrodite. 
And here at the temple of Aphrodite, uh, they would worship her, the goddess of love. And here in this temple were present of some thousand prostitutes who in the name of religion would practice immorality. That was their religion, immorality. And a thousand prostitutes would literally come down from the mountain when ships would come in and do their work in the city as transients and businessmen and you name it would come in. In fact, when we look at Scripture, when you read Romans chapter 1, remember Romans 1 where Paul talks about that no man is without excuse and he talks about how the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. And as he does that, he talks about how men and women are living in immoral ways having unnatural relations with each other and how they take the created things and start worshiping creatures instead of the creator. As Paul is writing Romans chapter one, guess where he's at? He's in Corinth. And so he's getting a window view of all that's going in as God is leading him to pen even Romans one. And so Corinth is a city full of immorality. In fact, Often people, when they were talking of someone who lived in sexual immoral ways, they would say, well, he's a Corinthian. Or they would say, she's a Corinthian girl. And those are things you did not want said about you. But that's how bad Corinth was. And that's where Paul was at. And so as we read this, look what happens next. He's there in Corinth with this big city with big issues and great spiritual need. And look at verse 2 of chapter 18. It says, He found a Jew there named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius has commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them as well. They were working for, by trade, they were tent makers. I want to stop there for a second. Here's what I want us to see. The first thing this morning is Jesus is our provider. He's going to provide three things for Paul here in this city. And the first thing that we see that he provides this morning is people. He provides people. He provides Aquila and Priscilla, this couple that has come from Rome. They've been kicked out of the city, most likely because of disturbances with with the Jews, but over probably the preaching of Jesus Christ. And they've been pushed out of the city, and now they're in Corinth. And they meet up there because they share the same trade. They're tent makers. And so I love this here that God provides for Paul people. Because in Athens, he had no one. He stood alone. But here in Corinth, he provides for him Aquila and Priscilla. What's interesting about Aquila and Priscilla is in Romans 16, verse 3, Paul tells us that they're fellow workers of Jesus Christ. And later on, we're going to see their involvement in the ministry of Christ. And so he provides Aquila and Priscilla. Not only that, if you look at verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, and we'll stop there for a second, he's going to also provide Silas and Timothy. They're going to rejoin him. And so here's a beautiful picture that I love this morning, is God provides for you and I even people to do life with, to encourage us, to help us, to support us as we live out the mission of God. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. And Jesus provides that for Paul here in Corinth. Not only does he provide people, but look what he provides for next. In verse 3, it tells us that they were all Aquila and Priscilla of the same trade. He, Paul, stayed with them, and they were working. 
And it says right here, for by trade they were tent makers. Even Paul had a job. Paul was a tent maker. And so the next thing that we see that Jesus provides here is provision. He helps meet our needs, our physical needs even. And here he meets the Apostle Paul's needs physically. Through what? Through a job. Paul's a tent maker. What does a tent maker do? He, he takes leather, things made out of leather, and he, he puts it together or he um, will fix it. And that's what Paul would do. He would fix tents or build tents or make tents. And so he would do that during the day, during the week. And then at other times, he would go into the marketplace and the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he would proclaim Jesus. And so through this trade, God was providing for Paul. But not only that, look at verse 5 again. It tells us when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, and Paul began devoting himself completely to the word solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And so not only did God provide for Paul a job, but here in verse 5, Silas and Timothy come down and they have something with them. In fact, it says right there that he was able to completely devote himself to the word. So what does that mean? And Paul was able to stop the tent making. He was able to stop that job and completely focus on proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. It tells us in Philippians chapter 4 that Silas brought a gift to the Apostle Paul from the church of offerings and tithes to provide for Paul's ministry so that he could focus on the proclaiming of Jesus Christ. And so what a beautiful picture of God's hand of provision through the church supporting Paul and his ministry. Timothy, it tells us, came with words from Thessalonica, from the church, words of encouragement. And so we, here we see Jesus providing provision for Paul, for his ministry. And then the last provision we see as well as we look at the text this morning, look at verse 4 through 8. It says, he was reasoning, Paul was, in the synagogue every Sabbath trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word of God, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they resisted and blasphemed he, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and went to the house of a man named uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and also were baptized. And so Jesus is our provider. He provides for us provision, as we just saw. He provides for his people. But not only that, he provides opportunities. Paul, again, is in the synagogue reasoning with the Jews. The Jews don't like what they hear. They begin to resist Paul and blasphemy Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And so Paul says, enough. I'll go and focus on the Gentiles and wipes his feet of them and moves on. And focuses on the Gentiles. And what does God do? He opens a door and where Claudius, the leader of the synagogue, do you know how huge that is? He comes to Christ. And after that, many others believe and are baptized. You know what I love about this? Is Paul, he obeys Christ when Christ says, go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, teaching everything I've commanded you. Paul obeys that, and then what does God do? He opens opportunities. He opens opportunities. I think that's what God does. 
If we obey Christ's command to go make disciples, guess what? He is going to open doors. He's going to allow opportunities to happen. And that's what he did with the Apostle Paul. He opened up opportunities. And that's what Jesus does as our provider. He provides people. He provides provision. He provides opportunities as we continue to trust him. And then look at verse 9, 10, 11, really what I want us to focus on this morning. As we see here, not only is Jesus our provider, but he's our great encourager. And look at verse 9 through 11. It says this, The Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there, it says, for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And so here is the Apostle Paul again, met by Jesus in a vision. This time at night, you remember a few chapters ago, it was this vision of, of a man from Macedonian calling Paul to come to Macedonian. And then obviously back in Acts chapter 9, we see Jesus meeting Paul on the road to Damascus. And so here Jesus meets with Paul in this vision and tells him not to be afraid, but to keep speaking and that no one will physically harm you. It's very interesting. We think of Paul as a strong, courageous figure. And here is Jesus giving him this most encouraging command, but surprising probably for many of us as we read this this morning. He gives us his, him an encouraging command, but also an encouraging word of promise as well. And so let's look at these real quick. As Jesus is our encourager, the first thing Jesus does, he gives Paul this command. He encourages Paul by simply saying, do not be afraid any longer. And so what that means is Jesus sees into the heart of Paul. He sees fear. He sees worry. And he says, Paul, don't be afraid any longer. Why might Paul be afraid? Why might he be worried? Remember where he's at again. 450,000 people. A city filled with immorality. A city full of pride in their great consumerism, their great wealth, their great political prestige. And this is the background. And Paul's already been resisted by the Jews. He's had to deal with them. He's also had some successes as well, but yet in his heart, he's full of fear. He's worried. In fact, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. I want you to see this. It's in, on the screen as well, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this. He says to the Corinthian church, and so he's talking about his visit that we read about in Acts 18. Listen to what he says. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. So even the Apostle Paul tells us, yes, that is how I felt. That was my heart. I believe Paul felt a sense of inadequacy as he faced the great spiritual needs in Corinth. Let me ask you this morning, do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel that way? I imagine many of us in here feel that way during this political season. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, what else is going to come? <laughs> right? I mean, wait till tonight. I mean, we just, and some of us may feel overwhelmed. 
with different emotions, um, different thoughts. We see the, the news at night. We see the things that our country deals with. And some of us may feel overwhelmed, and sometimes we think, and what kind of difference maybe could, could I really have? I'm sure Paul felt like that. He felt inadequate. He felt weak. And when you hear your pastor give you a challenge to say, hey, listen, let's, who's that one we're going to reach? Sometimes we, we start worrying and start thinking, is someone really going to accept what, what I have to say? What if I don't know what to say? What if I begin investing in someone and sharing the gospel? And, and what if they start asking questions that, man, I don't know how to answer? Sometimes we ask these questions, what if, what if? What is that question, by the way? If we say what if, a lot of times it's because we're worried, right? What if they don't like me anymore after I share with them? What if they think differently about me? What, what if, what if? What, you know what that is? That's borrowing trouble, right? That's what worry is. It's borrowing trouble. And I wonder if the Apostle Paul was there, and his worry, and his fear. And what happens at times when we're afraid, and when we worry, when we borrow trouble, what happens a lot of times, our witness, our life, we become paralyzed, and we don't do anything. We don't do anything. And that's where the enemy really wants us. He wants us to do nothing. He's, just, he's got us right where he wants us. <laughs> and many times, that's through fear, and that's through worry. But Jesus says to Paul, do not be afraid. How many times do we hear that command throughout Scripture? Many times where God says, do not be afraid. Or in your fear, trust me. Trust me. Jesus, he knows that we are prone to fear. He knows that we're prone to worry. But he says, trust me. Trust me. Be dependent on me. As you reach out to others, as you reach out to share the gospel, let God take your weakness. Let God take your fear. Let God take your worry. Let God take our spiritual inadequacies. And let him do this. Listen to what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 2, again, this is the rest of the passage. In verse 4 and 5, listen to what he says. And my message, my preaching, were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, Corinthians, but on the power of God. You see, that's what God wants to do. He wants to take our brokenness. He wants to take our inadequacy. And what does he want to do? He wants to show his great power. Because it's not about our attractiveness. It's not about how we sound. It's not about how eloquent we are. You see, you don't want them to be attracted to you. And what you're saying, you want them to be attracted to Jesus. In fact, listen to this. Metropolitan Church, London, beautiful place, awesome pastor back in the 1800s. He's called the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And one day, a member of his church brought a guest with him. They sat and they listened to Charles Spurgeon, one of the great pastors of all. And after the service, this member asked his friend, said, hey, what do you think of my pastor? <laughs> and the guest said to him this. He said, I don't know about your pastor, but I sure impre am impressed 
with the Savior he preached about. And that's what Jesus wants to do with you and I. See, it's not about us. In fact, Paul will say this, be a fool for Christ. Because the foolishness of the gospel is the wisdom of God, is the power of God. The world might think that what we say is foolish. But through that, God wants to change hearts. And that's what Paul experiences. He's in Corinth. He's full of fear. He's full of trembling. But God says, don't be afraid. And he rested on the Holy Spirit. He was dependent on the Holy Spirit. He trusted God. And it wasn't about the wisdom of men, but it was about the power of God. And so that's the command that he gives us. He also encourages us with this promise. And the promise is huge to the command. And so listen to what he says next in verse 10. He says, I am with you, right? What a great promise. And then he says, no man will harm you. And not only that, for I have many in this city. And so there's three parts to his promise here. The first thing is this. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you. Through the presence of my Holy Spirit, Paul, I am with you. You see, the presence of Jesus helps us overcome fear and worry so that we can be empowered to be his witnesses in the world. Here's the deal. we got to believe that, though. Do we believe that? And so he made that promise to Paul. Not only that, he says, nobody is going to physically harm you here in Corinth, so don't shrink back, right? Now, this is important here. I was listening to a pastor this week preach about this, and he said that what God is basically saying to Paul here is that God will never give you more than you can handle. And I heard that, and I had to take a, a, a quick gulp and be like, wow, wow, I, do, I don't read that in my Bible. God will never give you more than you can handle. If you find that in your Bible, come show me, because I don't find it. And there are many in here who would say, no, no, I can testify to that. Here's what I would say. God gives you more than you can handle so that you can trust in him who has raised Jesus from the dead. Because 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that many people quote, is talking about what? I mean, look at it. It's up here on the screen. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, yes, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure by it. And God, what that means is that God will not allow temptation to overtake you to the point where there is no escape for you to get out of that temptation and not fall into sin. That's what that means. But it never says that God never gives us more than he can handle. Many in here could say, I testify to that. I get that. But what is he saying to Paul here? He's not saying, Paul, I'm not going to give you any more than you can handle. He's specifically telling him, in this city, you will not be physically harmed. <laughs> but Paul will be physically harmed later. But in this city, Paul, it's not going to happen. I'm going to make that promise to you. And so what does Paul do here? Paul must trust God. And that's what he does. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, just write it down. Paul will say this. He, he, he is in Corinthians, brought to the point, to his max, and even beyond. And what must he do? Trust in the one who has raised Jesus from the dead. That's what God wants us to do. That's why he does give us more than we can handle. And so we'll be dependent on him. 
But here he promises, hey, no physical harm is gonna come. And then he promises him this too. And then we'll finish the last part. Listen to what he says. For I have many people in this city. What does this mean that, that Jesus has bouncers and an entourage that's gonna take care of Paul? No. 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 Here's what it means. It means that God's elect is in the city. And Paul doesn't see it yet. He, Paul doesn't see the spiritual fruit yet. And, and I'm sure Paul is like, man, are people's lives really going to be changed here? He's already seen some, but the, the weight of the spiritual need and the many people, I think he's overwhelmed with this. He's like, God, man, what in the world? Where, is there really going to be fruit here? And Jesus comes and says, hey, I've got people in the city. What that means is we may not see the spiritual fruit to come, but God has people that he wants to save. God has people he's going to save. And he just wants us to trust him with that and keep being faithful. And so he promises Paul that. So look at this. Look at how Jesus, lastly, is the great promise keeper. Look at this, and I'm gonna give you this last part. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, while Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul, brought him before the judgment seat, saying, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words, names, and your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took hold of Sosanias, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Galileo was not concerned about any of these things, and we'll stop there. Here's what I want you to see, is that Jesus is the promise keeper. Does Paul get harmed? No. Physically? He gets brought before the Roman official, and the Jews are claiming, hey, this guy's proselytizing, right? And, and it's against the Roman law. That's their defense. The Roman law was this, that the Jews could not proselytize. They could not go to Roman citizens and make them turn into uh, Jews who would worship God. And, and so Rome had a law against that, but Jews could go to anybody else. And so what they're saying here is, hey, Paul's breaking the law. He's going to Roman citizens. He's going to everyone here in the city and trying to get them to, to follow his God, to follow Jesus. And so they bring him before the leader. But that's all they did. They did not physically harm him, even to the point where the leader said, hey, listen, I'm gonna deal with criminal stuff, not theological stuff, not this issue. And, and so Paul is not physically harmed. And so we see two promises answered here. Actually, all three, right? Jesus is with Paul. Je Jesus says, I'm not gonna allow you to be harmed. He's not harmed. And then thirdly, we don't see it here, but we're gonna see it. Because Sosthenes, who gets brought before and, and, and gets beaten, he's the synagogue leader who took Crispus's place, who Crispus came to faith. Guess what? Sosthenes will come to faith. The man in verse 18 who gets beaten, he will believe in Christ. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, as Paul is writing, he records Sosthenes, a fellow brethren in the Lord. He will come to faith. And so Jesus, when he says, I have others here in the city as well, 
He sure did. He sure did. Jesus is the great promise keeper. And I want you to hear that today. Because as we hear Jesus sending us out and saying, be my witnesses unto the ends of the earth, in reality, we get fearful of that sometimes. We feel, how is God gonna use me? I feel inadequate, I feel weak. I feel like I don't have the words to say. And here we see Paul the same way. And who is Jesus to Paul? And who does Jesus wanna be to us? He wants to be our provider, providing everything we need in life and in death. Providing everything we need to be witnesses for him. He'll meet our physical needs. He'll meet our need for encouragement from other people. He's provided that with the church. He gives us opportunities. He'll provide the opportunities. He'll provide the people. And he'll encourage us all the way. And he'll make a promise that he will stand by and he will keep his promises to us. He will be with us. He'll be with us. Believe that today. As we close, you may be here today and You hear about Jesus and you hear about all that he is. And and I want you to hear this, that that Jesus above all, he provides for us eternal life. We sung about it earlier, about the cross. We sung about how how Jesus, he, he has gone to the cross for us. He has made a way for us so that we can know God. We can have a relationship with him. He has provided eternal life for us. He's provided a way for us to know him. Have you believed in Christ today? And Jesus encourages us to believe. And that's the only way that we can have eternal life is believing in Christ. And he promises us, he says in John chapter 10, verse 28, that he gives us eternal life and that he holds us in his hands and no one will snatch us from him. Jesus provides eternal life. He encourages us to believe so that we can have eternal life and he promises it is ours if we believe in him. If you've never trusted in him today, believe in Christ today. He keeps his promises. Believe in him. Let me pray for you.